Welcome to Podcast 83, a regular look at the news, stories, and trends related to Michigan's 83 counties from the Michigan Association of Counties. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Welcome to Podcast 83, the podcast put on by the Michigan Association of Counties. I am Dina Bosworth, Director of Governmental Affairs for the counties. And with me, I have Samantha Gibson and Madeline Feta, our Government Affairs Associates. Um, We're just going to kind of jump in. It's second week of June and second full week of June. um, And we're here to talk about kind of what's going on in the legislature They started to move quite a few policy issues lately, so we want to bring you up to date on that. Uh, But before I do, I will mention that we are still in the middle of the budget process. Um, Targets, we expect targets for our subcommittee chairs to be released today. That means the decisions on all of the state budgets will be made, you know, hopefully in the next couple of days and they can, or next week or so, um, and really work on formulating the fiscal year 24 budget. Um, For those that need a reminder, that fiscal year 24 budget will start October 1st. Um, and, you know, we've been busy working on lots of priorities, um, just making sure that counties have the resources that they need to provide the services that they are required to provide. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. We will report on, you know, what we know when we know it. Watch our legislative updates because that's a really good place to get information every Friday. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Now, let's get, jump into some policy issues. Um, Samantha, this isn't this governmental immunity issue is something that, you know, was um, quite the topic of discussion several years ago. We've dealt with this legislation in the past, but it never got fully enacted. And now the legislature is working on that same package of bills again. But it puts, you know, local governments and counties in kind of a precarious position. You want to talk a little bit about that, that package of bills for us? Yes, thank you, Dina. So uh, recently, a package of bills addressing sexual misconduct and the statute of limitations in relation to that was introduced in the House. Um, As you mentioned, these bills came up a few years ago in 2018 um, in response to the Larry Nassar situation at Michigan State. Um, Those bills didn't move in previous terms, but they're back again. They just had a hearing in House Criminal Justice uh, last Tuesday Hearing only, um, no vote at that time. Our issue is with one bill in particular. The package is House Bills 4482 through 4487. Our concern is with House Bill 4486. um, That addresses governmental immunity as it relates to sexual misconduct. Um, There's language within that bill that states essentially a local unit of government, a county, is held liable if they knew or should have known that an employee committed previous criminal sexual conduct and then failed to prevent or intervene subsequent sexual misconduct. So I think we can all agree that known, that's pretty straightforward. If you knew and you failed to intervene, um, you should be held liable. But should have known is a very vague statement. It's going to have vast unintended consequences. And what is the remedy here, right? Our preference is to strike the phrase should have known. Um, I don't know that legislators are open to that solution. So the next step is, do we define should have known, which is very difficult to do. Um, 
we're making progress in that. I've had many conversations with committee members, also working on meeting with bill sponsors from that package to discuss what can we do about this bill in particular. And the consensus is really the unintended consequences are going to be drastic. We have to resolve this, but how? And we don't have the answer just yet. Yeah. So what is should have known? I mean, if it's not defined, you should have known because they have strange behavior. You should have known because what? I mean, I mean, you either knew based on, you know, a background check or criminal conviction or you had, you know, complaints filed with you and you failed to follow up on it. Right. That's known. Right. I should have known. That's so vague. Is there like how far back do you look that you should have known that they committed a previous act of sexual misconduct? Does it have anything in there about that? It does not. And the bill as written uh, does not require a conviction of criminal sexual misconduct. It uses the word committed. So that could be you could have been charged with it. Um, There could have been allegations. And again, begs the question of how back how far back in an employee's history is the local unit of government supposed to go? You know, the an example I've been giving legislators is let's say, you know, you work for one county, right? You're in whatever department there. Um, you're accused of misconduct. Nothing is formally filed and you leave that county and now you're employed by another county, regardless of what department you're employed in. And you commit subsequent sexual misconduct. Is that county then liable? Should they have known you never did that previously? And nothing was formally filed, right? So what's going to come up here if court cases are inevitably started? So defining should have known seems to be the route that legislators want to go down. Um, but I don't know how feasible that is. So we're well, going to keep working let, on that. Let, let's complicate this a little bit more because I think, you know, there's also the issue of expanding the statute of limitations. And, you know, you know, not saying that someone should not, you know, be able to file a claim, you know, whenever. But what kind of complications does that statute of limitations then add to the mix of should have known? And then the subsequent governmental liability, um, you know, for for, you know, employee actions. I don't. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So let's say. They remove the statute of limitations on criminal sexual conduct entirely, right? The only other crime that doesn't have a statute of limitations is murder. So they remove the statute of limitations and you're a government employee on the local level and you commit subsequent sexual misconduct and your current employer, whatever county it is, doesn't know that you had previously done that. And we still don't know what should have known looks like. And this occurred 30 plus years ago without the statute of limitations and then the removal of government immunity, you're holding a current county board liable for something that occurred decades ago. And the individual who did it could very well no longer be alive at this point. Right. So how do you defend against that? You just open the checkbook and pretty much. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, I think known, I get it. I get responsibility and you need to act to protect people, but should have known that's kind of a tough one. It is, know, especially with no statute of limitations on or on there. So, and it's a sensitive topic and we want to tread carefully, right? I think we all agree that reforms are necessary, but 
feel like a broken record repeating unintended consequences over and over again, but but that's the reality we're facing if this bill as is, is uh, enacted. Well, thanks for working with the bill sponsors on it and really trying to to get some clarification so that, you know, we, we have, you know, clear guidelines to go by. Um, so the bills are up again for a committee hearing today, or this week? Nope. They were taken off of the agenda for this week. It was our initial assumption that they were going to have a hearing last Tuesday and be voted out of committee tomorrow, or I guess when you watch this <laughs> Tuesday, June 13th. Um, but they're not on the agenda for tomorrow. I'm not sure when they'll be back up, but our hope is that we'll have amendments before they're voted out. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's move on to some election stuff. Madeline, there was a huge package of elections bills introduced and and what's going on there? I mean, I'm assuming it's about implementing, I know it's about implementing proposal two in the early voting, but tell us a little bit about that package. Yes. So back in November, 60% of Michigan voters approved proposal two, which will uh, provide for nine early days of uh, voting processing. It's going to expand access to ballot drop boxes. Um, You can sign up to be added to a permanent absent voter list. It expands what permissible ID is accepted at the polls. I mean, it's just a a widespread elections reform constitutional amendment now. Um, So a eight bill package in the House, eight bill package in the Senate. They were both introduced, providing that legal framework, the rules, procedures of that proposal into law. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, So, yes, those bills, they were brought up three hour hearings in both chambers, both committees. Um, Promote the Vote was the group that led the charge on the proposal back in the fall. They testified in support. Municipal clerks testified. County clerks testified. And the Secretary of State's office testified. Um, So, I'm not entirely sure when they'll vote those bills out. Um, I don't know that I've seen a posting for elections yet this week. Um, But yeah, we're moving forward to implement proposal two. Money, money, money. What about money, 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 money? Yes. The two pieces I mean that affect counties the most are obviously that nine days of early voting and the cost that that will place on locals. Um, Also that nine days of early voting that, bill will allow municipal clerks to enter into agreements with their county clerks to pool resources and work together on those nine days, which I think is going to be very beneficial for a lot of those municipalities. Um, But yeah, we don't know anything about funding just yet. That is an entirely separate issue that's being worked out in the budget process. So in six hours total of testimony, there was almost no discussion of funding whatsoever. So, well, I mean, hopefully they, they can work together. That seems to make a lot of sense to have the county clerks with the work with, you know, some of the local clerks in order to make this sort of a, as manageable as possible. It sounds like it's going to be quite the endeavor, but as manageable as possible. Um, and so, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we've got the, you know, the committee subcommittee chairs and the appropriations committee are getting targets this week. 
Um, so hopefully we'll see some funding allocated to help the locals implement this proposal too and, and that package of bills that you're talking about. Um, okay, one other issue we were going to brief you on, and that's this Criminal Justice Policy Commission. Um, Sam's been working really hard with just about everybody, um, trying to make sure that there's a committee voice um, on that policy commission. Can you tell us a little bit about it, Sam? Yes. So for context, from 2015 to 2019, under Governor Snyder, well, he initiated the commission. Um, the Criminal Justice Policy Commission existed. And at that time, Mac had a representative on the commission. Uh, it was disbanded in 2019, and bills were reintroduced in the House and Senate to re-engage the commission. This time, um, it's really called the Michigan Sentencing Commission, but it's one and the same, really. Initially, when the bills were introduced, we still had a representative on the commission. And then the version that was passed out of committee in the House of House Bill 4173 did not have Mac on the commission. And then identical bills were introduced in the Senate. Those are Senate Bills 376 and 377. Um, and that also did not have Mac on the commission. I, as you mentioned, have been working very diligently to get our seat back on the commission, but I've really been met with, there's so many people on the commission. We want it to be smaller. We think it'll uh, be more productive and efficient if there were fewer commission members. So when the bill was introduced, it had 17 now there's 15. Well, okay. So what are they charged with? This Criminal Justice Policy Commission, what are they charged with? A myriad of things. Um, the two things that are going to impact counties most are, one, they have to submit a jail and prison impact report to the legislature, and then any modifications they make to sentencing guidelines. The assumption with this commission, and obviously we won't know until the commission meets and provides their recommendations, but is that they will reduce sentencing guidelines, which in turn would likely have fewer people in prisons and more people in jails, which is, of course, additional cost to counties. So as the funding unit and our obligation to jails and sheriffs, uh, we need a seat on this commission. I testified to this um, this past Thursday um, in Senate Judiciary. Um, no questions were asked, but I'm working on getting meetings with those committee members in the Senate. So really trying here, going to do what I can um, in hopes of getting us put back onto the commission. Yeah, it just seems like if they're going to make some policy changes or recommend policy changes that they would want to know you know, sort of the thoughts and the capability of the locals that, you know, have to house these, um, you know, convicted people, <laughs> I guess I'll say. Um, so thanks for your work on that. Yeah, keep us updated. Keep watching. Like I said, keep watching our legislative update on Fridays. Um, we write articles and try and give you, you know, a good snapshot of what's going on in Lansing. And if you have any questions or anything you guys want to follow up on after listening to this or any other issue, you all know how to reach us. Send us an email, call the office, give us a call on our cell phones. Most of you have them. So with that, thank you guys. Let's get ready for a nice busy week. All right. Let's see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Podcast 83. 